Welcome back to the Mining Your Business podcast, a show all about process mining, data science, and advanced business analytics. I am Patrick, and as always with me, my colleague Jakub. Hi there, Jakub. Hey, Patrick. Today's topic, P2P, purchase to pay. What is it? What is the process mining side? And KPIs and use cases, all of that coming up next. Well, Patrick, today we have on our agenda purchase to pay process, which is, I think, pretty exciting because yeah. uh, myself, I have actually implemented a couple of purchase to pay processes in uh, recent months. Yeah. Recently, yeah, with uh, some of our uh, very exciting customers of ours. Mm -hmm. So uh, where do we actually start? I think uh, where we can start, as usually, is with our favorite coffee bean, which we already referenced a couple of times before. But probably this time we won't be looking at the coffee bean itself, but rather at the coffee bean factory. So first of all, uh, we would probably obviously need to explain what such a purchase to pay process is, right? Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah. shall we get right into it? With the example of the coffee bean in mind, you are a coffee bean manufacturer. You harvest the coffee beans and send them off to your, to your customers. So um, you obviously need to purchase things in order to do said job. You need to um, buy harvesters to harvest the coffee beans. You need to buy the packages in order to package your, um, your coffee beans. You need to get labels. You need a, a service to actually market your stuff. And um, these are all purchases that you as a company will have to do. Exactly. And it doesn't really end there. There is so much more. There is fertilizers. There is probably something uh, like, uh, you know, you need to uh, harvest the, the, the crop somehow. So the harvester, as you mentioned, but even like uh, security uh, equipment for your, for your uh, employees so that they are yeah. safe while doing, doing the work. So there's exactly. just so much to do. And therefore, like uh, as every purchase to pay process, you start with a certain need in mind. Yeah. So the need can arise from the actual sales order. So say if you're just um, buying um, coffee beans to then sell them in that example, but also production requirements. So like we mentioned, for example, the coffee bean harvester or the, the materials for your labels and, and things like that, um, including um, R&D. So say somebody in your company thinks they can come up with a better way to package um, your coffee beans, but they need specific material for, to do that, which isn't on the market. So you need to go find a vendor that produces that special equipment for you. Exactly. Or just internally, you, you can have uh, employees who work in the office, do the office job, and they just need more, uh, more toner. They need more papers oh, to print on. Yeah. They need pens and uh, daily equipment. They need tables to work on. And everything like this is simply need for a company that company needs to buy, purchase, and uh, essentially begin its uh, purchase, purchase to pay process, yeah. which actually leads us to the next step, which is the offer, right? Yeah, exactly. So um, obviously the purchasing department gets the, the, the need from, from its um, employees. Hey, we need this, we, we need X, we need Y, we need whatever else. So they are tasked, of course, with finding the, the things the company needs. So uh, what they will do is have a, a list of vendors where they can go from. <clears throat> and there they can check prices, um, negotiate payment terms, and negotiate the delivery schedules when you need it to be at what location. And all of those things are then agreed in the contracts. 
Exactly, and this already gets us already to some of the first uh, pain points of a purchase-to-pay pr- process, as there are many organizations that do have a set of contracts in place, but either use them sporadically or not very well, not very efficient, on, or even I've seen some cases where a customer has a contract in place, uh, or many contracts with the same vendor, actually, uh, with different payment terms, and there is what is happening is that they are using uh, less uh, profitable payment terms for themselves rather than using the better ones. So let's say that mm. uh, they would need, they would uh, appreciate having the cash on hand for a longer time. But what they do is actually that they use the less uh, efficient purchase uh, payment term for them, and that means that they have to pay earlier. So those are some of the bottlenecks that you can already see, and that's just a contract phase. Yeah, for sure, for sure. L- much much improvement in this regard, and I'm sure we're going to get into that later on. Um, next up, of course, is then once those contracts are agreed, we then move on to the actual order. The actual purchase order is created and sent to the vendor. And there we can, of course, have the acknowledgement of that the purchase order was received. And then, of course, the dunning activities, um, so on and so forth. Yeah, this is basically the moment when you... Uh throw the ball or leave the ball at your vendor's uh, side of the of the pitch meaning that the moment that he receives your purchase order he has to start working on the delivery itself so this is somehow when uh, your knowledge of the process is somehow uh, blurry because you can't really know what the vendor is doing in the meanwhile yeah. but what you can still do is that you know when the vendor actually delivers something or if he's if is he late is he on time and also, obviously, you can track and you can know what the quality of his delivery is. So let's say yeah. that you order, uh, I don't know, 50 or 50,000 uh, packages for, for your coffee that you really want to, or you really need to ship as soon as possible. And you give him 30 days to deliver. So what happens in the meanwhile, he delivers uh, after 30, uh, 35 days, which is the first problem. It's a late delivery for you that can cause quite a big problem because uh, then the whole chain reaction uh, triggers uh, because of this late delivery from your vendor. And then the next thing is that you receive the shipment and you are looking or you're counting uh, the number of uh, the packages that you received and you find out, oh, I only have 40,000, but I requested 50,000. So basically, your vendor under-delivered, uh, under-shipped uh, 10,000 uh, deliveries. Yeah, that is obviously a, a big headache. And the, the activities that happen in this phase are very, very crucial in determining the overall health of, you, of your purchasing. And also... Yeah kind of lets you gauge just how good your vendors are because if you have a vendor that constantly um offends the the contracts agreed beforehand delivers late delivers too little or too many and uh, doesn't send the invoices out in time you know these are all things that you can kind of gauge and see the the health of your vendors or maybe you actually find out that the that the uh, ball is on your side of the field, and you find out that you are making the mistakes, uh, meaning that you change the PO after it has been already sent to the vendor. Oh, that yeah. means that you realize, oh, I actually need sixty thousand packages rather than fifty thousand, mm-hmm. and then vendor is confused. Doesn't it, the, the message itself doesn't need to reach him in time, and then he still delivers the original amount. 
And so these are all the things that you can actually obtain when you uh, successfully implement the process uh, for P2P. Mm -hmm. um, well, once you actually have received your goods, right, we get to delivery side of it, right? You Shipment comes into your, your warehouse and now you need to actually check it, right? You need to inspect it. You need to check that the quantity is correct, that the quality, that it's not damaged, right? So yeah. in our... In our coffee bean example, if the, the labels came out wrong and they spelled the company name wrong for the labels that you ordered, that these are obviously things that need to be checked as soon as you get your, your package. Yeah, absolutely. And then what actually happens is that with the package, you also receive invoice. And this is, <laughs> this is another step where so much can go wrong. Uh, so uh, first of all, the invoices can be all mixed up. You can, for instance, get uh, goods. And on the invoice, something completely different stands. You can have the quantities uh, incorrect. You can have uh, the material numbers incorrect. And all these kind of things that are, you know, if, if it can happen, it will happen. And such an, uh, you, what you can do in the process mining is actually look at these steps and compare uh, what you actually ordered, what has been in the contract, what you ordered. Uh, with what you actually received and what you also have on paper in print in what in terms of what you received. You can then compare it and actually see, oh, this is actually a problem or this is actually working very well. And then yep. what happens is that you can rate the vendors uh, in in sense of uh, how they're performing. Yeah. Um, it should also be noted that the, there can be another issue just based uh, a little bit of warehouse management that the items the materials are in your warehouse is just that nobody has scanned them in yet so that can obviously lead to you receiving an invoice for materials that are in your warehouse but you just don't know about it obviously you don't want to pay for materials that you don't have yet so you block the invoice and that can lead to yeah. confusion can lead to delays can lead to lost cash discounts and what have you so another thing to keep uh, mind of yeah, uh, as we usually say, what can happen will happen. So better be ready for the worst case scenarios for sure. Of course. And yeah, the last step actually uh, in this purchase to pay process is uh, the moment when you uh, have the invoice and when you actually put it into your accounting. Because as mm -hmm. we know, uh, purchase to pay can be very easily transferred into accounts payable, meaning that from the moment you actually receive the goods and you receive the invoice, you are starting looking at the accounting part of your company. So the first yeah. step is actually that you have the invoice and that you send it to accounting. Uh, that usually means that uh, you change the identifier and everything. And there is another step for potential problems that some, some incorrect uh, things are happening. So this is something that also needs to be very careful and some uh, approval steps need to be in place for this. Yeah, I mean, and this can also, the, the processing time of these invoices is critical in optimizing your cash flow. Um, if you do um, take cash discounts or not, all depends on how quickly you process all this information. So how quickly you can process your three-way checks and, and so on and so forth can determine if you obtain the cash discount or not. Yeah, not to mention that you don't want to pay for uh, something that you actually didn't order or you don't want to pay uh, incorrect amounts and so on. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. But, the cash flow is the king. Yeah, exactly. But uh, assuming that all these things are checked and are um, optimal for you and you can pay, then obviously the last step of this is actually releasing 
the payment for this and the invoice should be settled. Yeah. And then there's definitely a lot that can go in accounting, but I think we will leave it for another episode where we dig a bit deeper into the accounts payable. Of course, yeah. So um, now that we have talked a little bit about the the P2P process as a whole, I think it uh, makes sense to now talk about uh, P2P and process mining in that way. Absolutely. All right, so starting off, um, what uh, what's the data that we need? Jakob, you've uh, implemented these recently. Right. What's the type of data that you do? What's what's the case? So uh, just to say, a case in uh, process mining terminology is a unique identifier for whatever you're following. So uh, if we used, uh, if we are talking about purchase to pay process, what we will be interested in is the purchase order item. So you will have a document, uh, the purchase order, and there you will have multiple different items. So one mm. or many, doesn't really matter. And for you, the unique identifier, which all the actions is tied to, is the item. This could be, again, explained on the coffee, on the coffee itself. So imagine that you are actually uh, selling the coffee. So your uh, purchase order, so the header document would be the package with the coffee itself. And the item would be the single bean, right? Mm. The same happens in here because uh, the... The items are very often treated somehow differently than the header itself. And you can also change uh, stuff on the item level rather than only on the header level. So what we are looking here as uh, our unique ID is the purchase order item. And then all the activities and everything that happens in the process needs to be somehow tied uh, in our terminology, joined <laughs> to, to the PO item. Yeah, What we um, are interested uh... Sorry, the just to cut. I think the the setting the case as the item has its advantages um, because it has the a more granular activity table can be built because several items in a one purchase order can undergo several individual steps, and in order to actually gain insight into these individual steps, the the item must be taken rather than the header. I think that's of the, course, of course, yeah. But if we are then talking about uh, process mining in a higher level, then obviously we don't always have items. We can just look at uh, some cases as a, a document number or something like that. So yeah. we definitely, this is a very specific purchase to pay in SAP. Uh, mm. So this is probably, uh, in, needs to be mentioned. And yeah. so once we have the ID, what we are really looking into is whatever information we can gather from the source system in this, uh, in this case, we are really talking about SAP. And then we are looking at ki different kinds of information we can pull together from that. So that would be, for instance, the changes that are happening on the purchase order item level or even purchase order header level, because there can be changes too. What we are mm -hmm. then doing is creating something called event lock, meaning that mm -hmm. we define the activities that we want to, to see in the purchase to pay process. So we will be looking at the purchase requisition creation. And essentially what we are doing is that we know where the purchase requisitions are and we know what the link between the purchase order item and its requisition is. And then what we do, right. we just join them together via a specific uh, foreign key relationship, uh, which we know, and we get, we can define such an activity and we can provide it in the event log, which means that eventually the end user knows and sees the activities that are really 
tied and binded to this uh, specific PO item. Right. So if we have the relationship between the purchase order and the purchase requisition, we're able to tell um, how long did it take for, for example, that requisition, when it was that requisition was created to when it actually turned into a purchase order item, right? Yeah. Because imagine that you have essentially two different tables. You have one table or, or one mm-hmm. uh, data set where you have the purchase requisitions and one data set where you have the purchase orders. What you do right. is that you link them together because there is, uh, there is a link and we know the link. Uh, but this can also be on the, on the invoice level. It can be on the goods receipt level. And that right. actually requ- that obviously requires certain knowledge of the underlying data. But uh, yeah. providing you have the knowledge, then you, you can always link it back to the original case, which in this case is purchase order item. And you can obtain different kinds of informations for that specific uh, item that you were looking for. So in case of purchase mm-hmm. requisitions, you know now what purchase requisition relates to your purchase order item. And you can then, for instance, say, oh, but there were also changes in this purchase requisition. There were also mm-hmm. releases or refusals of the purchase requisitions. And you suddenly know that your purchase order item is influenced by these things that happened before or after. Yeah, so you were saying that we can combine the purchase order, the purchase requisition, and then obtain the statuses of the purchase requisition and tie that to the activities of the purchase order item. Exactly. Cool. And this is so, and this, um, is, this is how process mining really works. Right. So once we have, for example, the purchase requisition, are there some activities where the, the relationship to the purchase order item are not as clear-cut? Yeah, there definitely are. And sometimes this gets a little murky and tricky. So mm-hmm. uh, the business understanding of purchase-to-pay process is sometimes uh, like end-to-end. So you have a purchase order or you have some need and you go all the way to accounting and you still want to see what happens on the accounting level. However, there are obviously some, uh, some problems with this approach because if we are really talking about the purchase order item, at certain point, you... Uh, what happens is that when you're also looking on the invoices, uh, you get end-to-end relationship, which, Patrick, I think you can explain to us. Um, yes, so when you have um, an end-to-end relationship, in one table you will have several um, items referencing to an indefinite amount of items in another table, and also vice versa. Hence, there will not be one purchase requisition item that um, links to one purchase order item but that uh, for example several purchase requisition items lead to one purchase order item and vice versa meaning that the relationship is not uh, one to n or n to one but rather m to n meaning that you cannot um, define the clear link between them this can obviously uh, lead to some some pain points in our data models and in our joints and Whatnot. Yeah, this uh, typically happens uh, in purchase-to-pay process in the invoices. So you remember the, the case I was saying that you order 50,000 cases for your coffee yeah. beans and only 40,000 are delivered. So you have an invoice for 40,000 cases. But the PO is still open because you still didn't get what you ordered. And it is very likely that you either get in touch with the vendor and have it, mm-hmm. uh, have it delivered later. But the, the, the point is that you might actually receive a second shipment or maybe even more shipments. And that mm-hmm. every shipment you get uh, results in, in new invoices. 
The problem is mm -hmm. that the invoices that the vendors are creating not always uh, need to be linked only to one uh, one invoice in your accounting, because then, let's say in the accounting, what you do is create invoices. And in these invoices, you can link multiple different uh, vendor invoices or so vendor documents. And there, this yeah. is what you were saying, that then we are getting into a bit murky uh, relationships where uh, one PO or multiple POs can be cleared with uh, multiple different invoices. Yeah, right. So that's where the M2N relationship comes from. Multiple purchase order items can link to several um, invoice items, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So um, following up, we have kind of spoken a little bit now about the, the process mining aspect. Um, what are some of the relevant KPIs that uh, our clients like to see when we implement this stuff for them? Yeah, so the classic uh, KPIs that we always start with is uh, like the high level counts. So you are always interested in the overall numbers, uh, let's say split per monthly basis or so, like how many POs you've created, how many purchase requisitions you have. Uh, and not only that, then what uh, is the second most important, second most interesting uh, and high level KPI is the total amount. Uh, mm. so, so that you have a clear idea that the data that you're looking at, you you know what you're looking at. So uh, that if we are working as a data scientist, the first problem or the first challenge that we usually face is to persuade our clients and make sure that the clients trust the data. And so the overall numbers and sums over certain periods usually help us uh, give them this kind of trust and then mm. they are comfortable working with it. So these are the first KPIs. But what next comes up to my mind is uh, the automation rate, for instance, as in Celonis. Uh, mm, yeah. yeah, as in Celonis, as process mining tool, it's very easy to, to actually see what are the automation rates for a given activity. So um, why are automation rates important? Well, uh, as we know, automation uh, is coming. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, the better the automation, the less touches you have to do in your process manually. Mm -hmm. The more time you the, the more time you save and the more efficient you are. Because if you have a purchase order that you say that you want to have it done as as, as uh, quick as possible, then every manual touch necessarily leads to, to some loss. It could be money, it could be uh, manpower, it could be time, it could be really anything. So uh, right. the goal of uh, lots of corporations is to optimize their process in a way that most activities that, are, that can happen automatically actually are happening automatically. Right, so that uh, we all know that it'd be amazing if we had one purchase order from one purchase requisition it uh, there are no changes the vendor delivers on time gives you the invoice you can pay it with a nice cash discount and that's the end of it but we all know that isn't really what the real world in most cases looks like so i guess the the key is to find the activities that are related to the changes to the uh, purchase order item and kind of automate them as much as possible is that right yeah exactly okay good um so um, we have our KPIs and we have our process, we have our data. And so now, how does a company, when looking at the, the implementation, 
in, for example, Solanus, how do they measure how well their purchasing uh, process is working? Well, this is a million dollar question, really, because there is <laughs> so many angles from which you can look at the purchase to pay process. And uh, honestly, every company has a bit different set of criteria and a bit different interests and also even like uh, priorities, right? So right. usually what what you can do quite straightforward with process mining in place is that you finally know how long all the action takes. So basically from the moment you create a requisition for a certain need in your company for those packages until the moment you have received everything and you have got uh, the invoice and that your accounting actually processed it and cleared the invoice, meaning that they paid, mm-hmm. the, paid the vendor. And once you have the process mining in place, this is actually the, I think for a lot of companies, this is the first time they can have a very, very clear picture on this. And it doesn't end Mm -hmm. that because sometimes different departments or different teams are interested in a different sub process of of this whole purchase to pay. So imagine that uh, the accounting probably doesn't really care about what's happening in the procurement because it's not really their job. And they don't really care what happens until the moment that the vendor creates invoice and actually the invoice is entered into into SAP or into the source system. And from there, actually, what happens is that you can look at a certain sub-process. So uh, you will be probably measuring a bit different uh, throughput times between different activities than you would be measuring if you are in procurement and you're looking at the, the de- delivery times of the vendors. Right. Right, exactly. And then also on the other side of that, not just the, the procurement side, you also have the accounting side, which would then be a sub-process, what we know as accounts payable. Yeah, right. it is so a from good there, split it, for sure. Yeah, yeah. it depends on just how granular, like how granular you want to see the process because there's a lot of activities in these. But kind of putting them all into the same process can get a little bit, uh, can be a bit opaque. It uh, is absolutely true. I mean, you have implemented both. And what was the result? <laughs> Well, let's just say that it's much easier to, to split it than to put it all in one because then you just lose some functionality that otherwise you would have if you have it split, which is the typical yeah. example of multiple invoices for one PO. And the moment you get into this point, it gets tricky. Yeah, of course, because the accounting department obviously wants to follow the exact uh, journeys of, the, of their invoices and the procurement wants to obviously know uh, when goods were delivered. And so the the, the the point between them can get a little fuzzy in that regard and setting the relationships correctly is uh, can get a little fuzzy. Exactly. Well, there are some other use cases that we actually have in Purchase to Pay, Patrick. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, let's hear about them. Well, the, the first one you've already kind of uh, touched on a little bit is uh, vendor delivery times, right? So just kind of knowing um, which vendor is um, delivering your stuff on time in good condition and can give you the invoice and give give you accurate delivery documents. Obviously, those are signs of a good vendor that you would like to do more business with in the future. Yeah, and that can be also tricky because, uh, as I I think I already mentioned it, these uh, deliveries can be changed from both parties. So imagine that uh, you, as a as a customer of your vendor, you change the desired delivery date. So suddenly, the vendor is not supposed to deliver. Uh, on uh, 10th of May, 
but you say it's okay to deliver a little later. So uh, you suddenly change your delivery by one week and you want to deliver on 17th of May. But the same mm. thing can happen the other way. So if you have a production planning, then you really need to know when your vendor is delivering uh, whatever you ordered. And if yeah. such a vendor, if there is a vendor that, uh, let's say, changes its confirmed delivery date also, then it can present some serious uh, risks for your for your production. Although obviously mm-hmm. everybody is aware of that, so there are usually some some storage, uh, some things in store for things that uh, something something could go wrong. But sometimes simply you really need your vendor to be on time. Yeah, for sure. Just to to satisfy for especially in production, having your material in the specific time when the things are supposed to be produced so you can satisfy your own sales order are very crucial. Uh, running out of material is never is never a good thing that you want to discover on production day. Yeah, I mean, you don't want you don't want to lose your coffee, do you? <laughs> no, of course not. Of course not. Imagine, My coffee is very important. Yeah, imagine the impact it would have on the company. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, productivity would fall to an all-time low. Yeah, totally, totally. Right. Uh, yeah. What else we have here is actually an interesting use case called segregation of duties. So in mm-hmm. segregation of duties, also called very often as SOD, uh, what you're doing is that you are looking at different activities. So for instance, uh, creation of uh, purchase requisition and approval or releasing of purchase requisition. And ideally, these two things should be uh, done by two different people, two different parties. That's uh, hence the word uh, or the, the, the word segregation of duties, meaning that one person, one user, doesn't do two things that he shouldn't be allowed to do at the same time. And uh, again, with process mining, when you are looking at different activities, what you can do is compare the two uh, to each other to a set uh, to mm-hmm. a specific uh, case in this or in this case purchase order item. And you can see if and whether and how often this actually happens. So you have some uh, strict rules and you can uh, enforce them. But let's say somebody breaks them, violates the rules. And then you suddenly see that uh, this uh, risk was realized and you can uh, essentially immediately interfere uh, or uh, first find out and then actually interfere with when this happens and prevent them in the future. So what you're saying is that with process mining, we can see these activities taking place in real time. And then before the the purchase order is then carried out, say the the segregation of duties was not adhered to, so that you can actively get email notifications or put automatic um, purchase order item blocks on these things so that this actually doesn't get realized. Well, the real time would be a wishful thinking. Uh, <laughs> with at least most customers, we are we are uh, at best like a couple of couple of times a day. So that means mm. that uh, there are definitely certain technical limitations in uh, in place that uh, means that you cannot simply uh, or we are still not there to have a real time data from SAP. You still have to mm. somehow extract the data to the cloud that we are using with most of our customers. And then eventually also run your logic and your queries. Then that all requires the time. And although there is certain uh, improvement in place uh, happening uh, as as we speak, 
uh, it's still more on like a daily basis, but it, it's still right. very, it's still usually sufficient because uh, especially when we are talking at the, about the beginning of purchase order, uh, the odds are that not all the action happens within the same day. So if you see that uh, on the on yesterday, someone uh, who created purchase requisition also approved it in himself or herself, mm. and it is actually violating your policies, then you can instantly have a notification from within Solanis that either uh, we have basically two scenarios. Either you notify a responsible person who can uh, look into this case and either cancel mm. it or, or block it, or you can even create an action that this action, the block, the blockage of such purchase requisition, happen on itself. Oh, wow, that's uh, that's immensely useful. It is, especially if you want to dial back on these uh, on these bad activities and bad behavior. Yeah, because those can easily result in frauds. Yeah, you know, yeah, worst sure. case scenarios. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess if we're talking about uh, bad behavior, we should also mention Maverick buying. Yep. So uh, Maverick buying in itself is when the buying behavior of your company doesn't adhere to predefined contracts with your vendors. So say you have a vendor of laptops and you have a contract with them with the payment terms, the delivery schedules, and so on and so forth. And then somebody or some department uh, buys some laptops in some other condition that are actually worse than you already negotiated with that vendor. Obviously, this is uh, not very good because uh, <laughs> you uh, you lose out on, on savings and deliveries and what have you. So Maverick buying is when uh, some user, some department doesn't adhere to the predefined uh, purchasing guidelines. What we can do with process mining is see these little these little characteristics of a purchase order item that don't seem like they adhere to the, the guidelines, either because the material, the, the payment terms for this aren't right, the, there was no purchase requisition, and things like that. And with that one, before it gets even approved, we can then um, send a notification with the action engine that you mentioned beforehand, right? Yeah, exactly. Basically, an action engine is... Uh, uh, feature that uh, Solonis and uh, as a process mining tool enables uh, us to use that what you do is define when something clearly happens and then you define activity that should happen when such a thing occurs so as you were saying patrick when a memory buying is interfered then you can send an email to a user uh, with a list of such memory buyings you can also write back to sap to actually prevent such action but then it should be taken with care and it should be very well backtested because writing back into the source system is always tricky and needs to be handled with care uh, but yeah. it just gives you such a big uh, power uh, in your hands because you can use it for so many things you can use it for uh, let's say uh, not only when something happens but if something doesn't happen so imagine a classic scenario would be uh, in purchase to pay process when you have to pay your vendor right so you have the payment mm -hmm. terms and you already have the invoice in your system and the invoice is open, which means that you haven't cleared it yet, which means that you haven't paid it yet. So what can happen is that uh, since you have the payment term and you roughly know, or you <laughs> actually not roughly, but you know exactly when you should pay it. <laughs> uh, you uh, Let's say that you know that the day of payment is today. And uh, 
in, in process mining and in Solonis itself, what you can really do is that you can essentially send a list of all the invoices that need to be paid uh, that day to whoever is responsible for this. So this can uh, then result in a lower rate of late payments. It can also result in a better vendor relationship because you pay the vendor in time, uh, which is always a desired behavior. And most of all, it also results to, you know, that you could miss some open items that uh, should be cleared manually or something. Somebody forgot to do that. And then those items could just hang in there for forever or ages. Yeah. And it's also, it goes also further than that. It's not just the open items that need to be paid, but we can also analyze based on the history of the purchasing behavior of your company knowing that even if you have five days to pay this this invoice, based on the material, the, the amount, and things like that, you need to pay within two days. Otherwise, historically, you will miss it by that deadline. So you can kind of already analyze your past behavior and kind of adjust the payment behavior, how you want to pay in future so that these things don't even happen. Yeah, and this is where the big buzzwords actually come into into role, into play. Uh, and that's actually using of data science and actually uh, yeah. machine learning, because you can then really look uh, and compare the data from very different angles and with a certain probability uh, predict some occurrences or some scenarios for the users. So this is really, really cool and uh, very exciting, actually. Yeah. Exactly. Um, in terms of use cases, well, what other things are important? Um, the three-way three match? Yeah, three-way match. Again, I think we already mentioned three-way match to a certain degree. So uh, in three-way match, what's really, what, what you want is to have a match between your purchase order, between the goods receipt, and between the invoice receipt. Obviously, we can also look at four-way match or even at, uh, I think, even five-way match where you can also add into the combination the purchase requisition, and then eventually mm -hmm. even the accounting document. And then you just compare those five activities and look whether all the, let's say, items that you ordered and all the amounts are actually matching uh, to your order. Things you're paying for, right? Yeah. Uh, okay. Good. Uh, I think we covered the use cases quite well. I don't, I don't have anything else that we could at this moment uh, mention. So uh, there's, there's a few more I'm sure that we could uh, we could talk about, but yeah, we'd be here all day. So true, true. And since we are again running out of time, which uh, man, I think we're gonna have to go a bit uh, longer with our podcast in the future because those 45 minutes seem to run past so quickly. Yeah, they do. They really do. Um, so let's just kind of run through what we see as typical bottlenecks in in a P2P. Yeah, I couldn't start with anything else than with changes. Yeah. Like anything that changes in the process is usually undesired. Although I'm say I'm saying usually because sometimes a change is desired, meaning that for instance when you order something and your salesperson is get is able to get you a better price, then you change the price to lower. That's actually probably a desired behavior. But usually generally speaking changes result in a lower in a in a slower processing times and in longer throughput times so generally it is desired to get rid of at least all the manual changes and uh set the rules and set the process in a way that uh, it's as automated as possible 
Right. Um, are there some types of changes in this P2P process that are worse than, than others? Uh, well, there it really depends from what perspective you're looking at it. So uh, if I... If I start uh, at the beginning when you actually send the PO to your vendor, anything that happens after you send the PO to the vendor is usually a bad change because you don't have the PO within your company anymore. You already released it and it can result to to poor performance in both uh, terms of delivery and also the invoices. Yeah. Uh, So anyway... Uh, Sorry, that that the vendor actually refuses your purchase order, right? Could be. Could be definitely deliver because they don't have the materials anymore. It was outdated and and things like that, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, of course, of course. So I mean, it's still good to change a PO before you send it out. Nobody mm-hmm. really. Uh, it doesn't hurt the vendor at all. But after you send out the PO, it's usually not a good practice to change anything. So in process mining, you can directly see if you define a change activity that are not desired. You can look if uh, something is actually happening after certain steps. So let's say you know when you send the PO to vendor, and then you you just look at the cases, at the PO items, uh, when the PO was sent to the vendor and after that it was changed. And you, I think you could find uh, quite, uh, uh, quite interesting cases or quite interesting overview of the poorer performance compared to when this doesn't occur. Right. Right, you're saying so there's a direct relationship between them? Uh, I'm not saying. Uh, I, I think it could be. It doesn't always need to be, but uh, I think it is expected that if you do these changes, of course. And that's what actually, this is a question that a uh, uh, well-implemented process uh, should actually answer. Yeah, yeah. So with, uh, with our dashboards, we can look at these, uh, these KPIs and say, in the times when the purchase order item was changed after it was sent to the vendor, um, we had a lost cash discount of this and this much, right? So you can, um, those things don't seem related, but the, it is shown in your KPIs. So um, that is obviously kind of a smell test of uh, an offending process. Totally, totally. Uh, yeah, and I think... That should more or less cover what we've actually wanted to talk about today. And this is a well-implemented uh, well purchase-to-pay process from end-to-end. And as you can see, there is so much, so many directions mm-hmm. you could go uh, with this. And obviously, the more you use then the process mining tool for, for such a process, the more possibilities you see. Uh, you also usually don't end up with only purchase-to-pay process because suddenly you also see that you could implement the quotation process, which for some companies is also quite vital and they want to have a bigger clarity on the process mm-hmm. uh, on the process itself. And that means that at some point you will start adding different modules and different intermediate steps of what is happening, right? And this, again, gets you... Uh, deeper and deeper into the process and the deeper and deeper you get the better understanding you actually have on the high level but also on the on the lower level of what is actually happening and uh, mm-hmm. this is this is amazing really i'm sure uh the clients that you've implemented this uh with have uh loads of ideas about where do you want to go in in future with these analyses oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> yeah so um does it make sense to still touch on action engines a little bit well, I think we kind of touched it already. So uh, as as we said, so with each uh, tangible action that you can 
take or you think you could take uh, from a finding in the process, it is uh, very likely that you would be able to create a certain action engine. Uh, Patrick, can you explain us what an action engine is? Um, yes. So what you can do is um, define yourself an activity, a flow of activities, undesired behavior in your process, and then determine that to be undesirable. Then take out the source data and kind of give an idea of these invoices, for example, these purchase order items, these purchase requisitions have the defined undesired behavior. And somebody should check if this is true, why, is the, why this is the case, if it should be blocked, if it should be the purchase order should be redone properly, so on and so forth. You can kind of um, have some, some tangible action behind the analysis that you have. So say you have some, some defined KPI of like these Maverick are the buying. characteristics of what my what my company defines as Maverick buying. They don't have the right payment terms or so on and so forth. And from that, in the data, we can see, hey, these are the ones that this applies to. These can then be sent as an action signal to the relevant users who can then go check and say, yes, this, this is right. This is a, a, an instance of Maverick buying and we should not be doing and this. And there you can kind of not just have the analysis of the Maverick buying, but also have some tangible action associated with it, which uh, delivers a lot of, uh, well, real-time benefits in that way. Yeah, and it takes it to a completely new level because suddenly you are not just uh, reactive looking at the reports and trying to, uh, with some explorative approach, find for the use cases yourself, but you already have defined what you are really, really interested in, what really should be improved. And then you just have the reports deliver the data to you on the time you actually want them to. So... (laughs) Actually, when you implement these notifications, you kind of make uh, Celonis and this process mining tool some kind of addictive uh, social media platform, <laughs> just like uh, Facebook or something, because yeah. you keep getting these push notifications every morning before you even start working and you're like already angry with the people who cause these problems for you and you are starting to send an angry email. So uh, take it easy. <laughs> <laughs> but you see that there is some potential for this. <laughs> Oh yeah, obviously these are just pain points that instead of seeing on some report that say it says uh, 10% of our purchase orders were a result of Maverick buying, you can actually do something about it dealing with these uh, instances of Maverick buying, which uh, <laughs> can be a pain, but uh, also necessary and wanting to reduce them efficiently. You know, the change always hurts, but it's better to change and adapt than uh, not change at all. Exactly. Okay, Patrick, is it a wrap for today then? I, th- I think it is, yes. All right. Do you want to mention your blog post? I think you wrote a blog post about exactly this topic. I did. Uh, admittedly, it's not as deep as uh, today's conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can still go on our uh, website uh, and in our blog section, you can find a purchase to pay process uh, article. Uh, but admittedly, I think uh, you will be better off listening to this. <laughs> But either way, uh, we are very grateful for, uh, for, for your time and that you made time to listen to our podcast today. And uh, Patrick, I'll be looking forward to the next episode together. Yeah, absolutely. Until then, Jakub. Cheers. All right. Bye-bye.